Creativity is often best exhibited inside of a box. And the reason I say that is when you have too many options, your brain can't seem to figure out where to go. But if you put it in a box, you can then be creative in this box and it's so much more effective. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. So, Allie, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so thrilled to have you here and just to catch up our listeners. So when we first met, we were having a really interesting conversation about standing out in the marketplace and claiming your mantle, right? And getting a way to carve out the differences between what you have to say and what the rest of the world might be saying. And I'm so excited to get to it, but I'm going to try to have just a tiny bit of patience and ask you to share with our listeners just a little bit more background on how you got started in the work that you're doing now. Sure. Well, I'll probably feed into that controversial point of view as I tell this. And that is, I've always been a person that believes that there's a better way to do things and that conforming to someone else's idea of whatever the definition of it is, is something that goes against like the natural instinct of mine. So I've been in marketing for 15 plus years and most of my career, I believe that the world that we live in today as marketers is actually the world that I've been living in for 15 years. I've been waiting for the day that content is the way that people buy because I've always been fascinated by stories. Obviously, you are as well doing what you do. Mm -hmm. I've been fascinated by visuals, by the ability for me as a consumer to feel like I'm in control of my buying behavior. And we now now live in that world. And the only way that we connect with other people is by identifying what we either agree with or disagree with about Mm -hmm. somebody. Mm -hmm. And so today, I lead a content agency called Simple Strat, and we help folks with Helping get, again, break through that noise with some of the content that we develop, and that's podcasts, videos, blogs, whatever that may be. And then we're a top HubSpot solutions partner. So we also run a channel on YouTube called HubSpot Hacks, where you can find me teaching videos and supporting some of that point of view as top technology advisor. So it's so cool. And, you know, let's start with, because I think that there's a natural tendency that a lot of people have to try to fit in right? And want to go with the crowd and not be controversial. Can you speak to that a little bit before we get into the other side? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's not a secret. I definitely believe in the power of coaching and good therapy. So I've worked my way through a lot of my issues, I think, throughout my life. But you know, something I've learned is that sometimes the things that we struggle through as a child, we tend to hang on to as adults. So if we ever had any bullying or any outside pressures that essentially, you know, it's a survival mechanism. If you Mm -hmm. conform, you naturally are protected by the herd and it kind of feeds into Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And then you become an adult and realize that everybody needs to have their own voice. And it's almost this like contrarian point of view from what protected you as a child. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of those things that as marketers, we tend to get asked to market things that are not any different than anybody else. Mm -hmm. 
And that's the hardest mm. thing to do. Right. And yet everybody gravitates toward, well, I, I want to do just like what this company is doing over here. The simple act of saying, I want to do what they're doing means you're not doing anything unique. And yeah. unique also means that you're risking the ability for someone else to say, I don't like that. And that attacks us at the core, which I think is why we struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think also, maybe this changes to the more years you're in it and the more confidence that you have in your own point of view. I think it might be, do you think it's more difficult when people are just starting out or do you see it across the board with people when they first come to you? I think the hardest thing about leaning into your point of view or your own unique voice or whatever that happens to be positioned as is that you are naturally going against that psychological loss aversion. And that means that we are typically more motivated to avoid loss than we are to find gain. Mm. And when we think we're missing out on a certain part of the population, even from a sales standpoint, like, oh, half of the customers that I'm going after are not going to believe what I believe. (gasps) There goes all that money. (laughs) And the truth is they were never going to believe that in the first place. So you never actually had them. Right. But that that loss aversion is a powerful motivator. And we have to understand, one, we have to understand psychologically what's happening in our brains. But then two, when you start to lean into that and you find, whether you call it your tribe or whatever, you start to find people that do follow what you have to say, you gain small tokens of evidence that suggest you're going in the right direction. The Mm -hmm. problem a lot of people have is they never have enough patience to get those tokens of evidence because they switch direction because they get scared every couple of months. Like, oh, I better go this way. And you never actually build up tolerance to live in your convictions because you're always trying to find the thing that's going to pay off more quickly. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And, you know, as I'm thinking about authors and of course, and I'm thinking about books, If there's one thing that's true in the publishing industry that always has been true and will probably continue to be true Mm -hmm. is that no one wants to publish the second book of anything. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that is true. Right. So what we're talking about here is really essential to author success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the hard part. So I'll give you my own personal story with, Mm -hmm. with the attempt to, and you know, I've talked about this. I have not written a book yet. But my marketing brain, when I sat down to put my thoughts into an outline, was, well, who's this for and what's the audience believe? And I instantly went into marketer mode. Mm. And the feedback that I got from the agent that I was talking to was, what does the world need to hear from Allie? Mm-hmm. And it stopped me in my tracks because I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. What do I believe? And why do I believe those things? And where did they come from? And It requires a lot of introspection, which is difficult. And I think that sometimes stops people because it's easier to be the second of something because you have less risk because it's already been proven. Yeah. Well, what something that I find really interesting though, and I see this obviously because in my work, you're right, no agent also (laughs) wants a client who's writing the old ideas. You know, they want to hear what's your new take, what's your new perspective. And something that like we were talking about questioning your own beliefs. I think this is such a huge piece of what we're talking about here because a lot of times, this is just also how we're kind of wired, right? We hear a bunch of people say it, we assume it's true and we don't stop to interrogate our own thinking and ask, well, why 
do I believe this? I think one great example is the whole idea that the pinnacle of author success is to be a bestseller. Mm -hmm. Whose idea was that? Right. I can tell you whose idea it was. I'm sure it was the New York Times. No, it was the publishers. Oh, it was the publishers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that makes sense because then they're going to buy more and do all the things. Because that's their only way to make money with a book. But for the author... There's a lot of ways to make money with your book. And so book sales may or may not be part of your success puzzle. So that's just an example. But that was something I had to interrogate in my thinking is, well, why do I think a best-selling, where did I ever get that idea that Mm -hmm. a best-selling book was the pinnacle of author success? And when you're willing to step out and say that out loud, Mm -hmm. (laughs) talk a little bit about how that can help you in your marketing. Yeah, I think so. I like to take the word marketing off the table for folks because really marketing is this thing that either is one overwhelming and just absolutely stops you because you're like, oh, I don't know where to start. Or two, it's made into this series of gimmicks. Like here's your five-step framework to do these things and whatever. And one, it's neither of those things. What it really is, is finding a way to transfer value from one person to another so that they take a next action. And that next action could be anywhere along the funnel from, and when I say funnel, I mean, they might follow you on Facebook. They might choose to join your email list. They might choose to purchase your book. They might choose to hire you. But all those things don't occur unless you have a transference of value. And in order to find a channel for that value, you have to figure out what's important to them, where they hang out and what they're compelled to do. So that's at the end of the day, what I do every day. I think the reason why being leaning into that as your own unique point of view is every day, if you think about what I just said, everybody else in the world is trying to do that very same thing. Mm -hmm. So we are essentially in this virtual room every day with what we think is us and our customer and, or us in this case, maybe like a potential, you know, someone who would enjoy your book or be a client. They're also in the room with hundreds of other people trying to do the same thing. And there is no better mechanism to stand out than to identify with a common belief and then find a way to bubble yourself to the top so that you are memorable and actionable. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. most people struggle with that because they think, I'm just going to post something, right? I'm just going to put something on social media. And the challenge with that thinking is that's like me going outside and putting a sign in front of my yard. But I live on a cul-de-sac. There's hardly any traffic out here. You know, like it's not even a good idea. So it's the combination of this really great content that connects with the audience distributed in a way that gets in front of them. And that's where some of the marketing expertise comes in. But it doesn't matter if it's on a really, really great road. If your content is vanilla and boring Mm -hmm. and looks like everyone else and we've already seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, one of my favorite tactics for doing what you're talking about is to pick a myth and bust it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. What are some other examples of how somebody can think about what they might say to differentiate themselves from the other people in their space? Yeah. There's actually a couple of folks that I follow this week released um, content, almost like metrics and things that work. And one of them was the negativity angle. So again, back to that loss aversion, And so let's say that I wrote a book about, let's say it's about marketing. And instead of saying five ways to gain more customers, it's dumb things people do that cost them customers. Like that, (laughs) that different angle instantly. You're Uh like, oh, like you go, am I doing dumb things? Like you just, your brain just goes there. 
So finding a way to reframe what might be a gain and then, you know, kind of position it as a curiosity negativity. It almost sounds like we're being sinister in that, but that's how we react, right? One of the ways that people tend to find value in that is if you can tell the concept in a new way. So I'll say, for example, I'm working on a series right now where I'm taking everyday marketing concepts. And instead of just telling you what they are, I'm going to illustrate what it means. So uh, spoiler alert, if you see this come out, how do you teach someone to tell your customer things a little at a time so that they understand you? Well, this video, we're going to show the difference between throwing a tennis ball at someone to catch it or throwing a whole bucket of balls at them. Okay. That's interesting. That's different content. And that's going to stand out in my feed. So the use of analogies is a very good way to do that. Using things out of, let's say you wrote the book, you've got a very controversial angle on that and you find top voices that agree with that, having them comment in because then you get their audiences involved in the discussion. So a lot Mm -hmm. of this kind of goes back to like, who are you talking to? What else is being said about that? But frameworks as far as you know, myth busting and negativity bias, using any sort of visuals to reinforce that. I analogy. was just going to say, I'm just picturing the visual of being bombarded with tennis <laughs> balls. And I'm thinking, what a great image for a social media post. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my yeah. little hack, it's super little, but I use Evernote and I have used it for years. So if you don't like, don't worry about learning it. You can do this with a piece of paper or a whiteboard. Anytime I get a really great idea is not the time that I sat down and said, I'm going to come up with great ideas right now. Like that never happens. (laughs) But if I get the idea, I make sure that I write down like what exactly if I write down. So for instance, I had an idea this morning that I just wrote down on track, off track, toy train, TikTok. I wrote that down. Okay. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of folks in marketing that they're on track, on track, on track in their meetings. And suddenly the last minute they're off track. How does that happen? So this video, we'll be talking about this. I'm going to make a TikTok out of it. So again, like that's where that came from, but it was in the middle of a client call. I can't stop and write it down. I just wrote down these. And then I load all of these ideas in so that they have time to percolate. But I guarantee you, every single person listening has random ideas that pop into their brain. They think they're going to remember them later and they don't. So write them down because they eventually will noodle themselves together into content ideas. Yeah, I discovered the audio recorder feature on my Apple Watch. (laughs) Nice. Because I often write songs while I'm walking. Ah, okay. And so I have to sing a line or two into my watch or they're gone forever. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. You're right. I mean, we are really bad at thinking that we can remember things. And then you'll try to come back to them. Because even in the shower, I mean, it's shower, running, driving, any of these times that your brain can kind of go on autopilot, it lets the creativity work its way back. And then you find yourself having these really great content ideas. Yeah, you're so right. And these epiphanies, and you really do have to have a way to capture them Mm -hmm. because they will just float on by, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The other trick that I often have people think about is... So if you think about creativity, creativity is often best exhibited inside of a box. And the reason I say that is, and it goes back to, there's a lot of psychological studies that support this. When you have too many options, your brain can't seem to figure out where to go. But if you put it in a box, you can then be creative in this box and it's so much more effective. So if I said for any new person creating content, here's the five boxes you're going to live in. So I did this with a client this morning. One box was trends. They're always going to talk about trends in some way, shape, or form. We talked about three examples. And all of a sudden, 
a new idea came to her because all of us, like we just had this track. So we talked about trends. We talked about using pop culture. So anytime there's a pop culture reference. So let's say that it might be like, I'll give the example of like Tom Brady got divorced. Okay. Like that's not anything that I care about, but like the football world was up in arms. So is there some other like earth shaking news event that impacts football? And I could use Tom Brady as a reference. Great. That. So again, those are just frameworks that I tend to like to use. So I'll give, you have five different types of content and then you can figure out how to fit in those five types versus like all the ideas. You know, it's similar to the tennis ball analogy, right? Like if you have a thousand tennis balls hurling towards you, who knows, you know, which category they're going to be in. Exactly. Yeah. And there was a, someone in my network posted this today. They said content without a purpose is a hobby. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, at the end of the day, your content can do one of three things. One, it can increase your credibility of the folks that already know and follow you. It can create awareness for new folks to come and follow and join your network, or it can convert them into some next action. Outside of that, if you just enjoy creating content, it's a hobby and that's okay, but don't sit here and be like, well, I'm not getting customers because you're not creating something your customers actually want to watch, learn, interact with. Yeah. And you know something else too that I found about taking that contrarian point of view, mm-hmm. and this is something I've spoken to in various contexts, but... I actually believe that going back to the myth busting, when you come forward and do post something or share something in a speech or wherever it is, and that is contrarian to the conventional wisdom of the day, and you correct a mistaken belief, I think you actually earn some gratitude. Mm hmm right from the audience because i think that intuitively people know there's some bs factor there mm-hmm. right like when i explain to people about certain bestseller statuses they're just so relieved <laughs> to know that their instincts were mm-hmm. correct mm-hmm. and so in that way that it's kind of the opposite of the worry about not fitting in it's like then they realize oh okay so my perception was correct i just mm-hmm. didn't know why Right. Yeah. We definitely have a B like we're really good about sniffing out BS, although sometimes we don't know why we're looking for it. So there's a couple of questions that I encourage people to use when they're thinking about creating, let's say controversial or, or content that goes against the grain and isn't, there's people that do this just to piss other people off. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, me either, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're talking about creating value and yes. making folks kind of wake up as to things. But right. the five things, there's really, I guess, maybe four. So one, what surprised you recently and why? What's something that frustrates you about the business that you're in? What is the last time you got really upset about something and what happened and where did that come from? And then what was the time that you overcame an obstacle that you didn't know about? And when like running through those questions, I know that you use those in storytelling too, but there's emotions attached to each one of those, which is where I think that passion comes from. Allie, those questions are gold. (laughs) Well, good, because I've used them a lot. (laughs) And they're not just marketing gold, by the way. Those are book writing Mm -hmm. gold, right? Those are outstanding questions, especially for the big idea, thought leader type book or the how-to book or, oh my gosh, I'm having trouble thinking of any nonfiction book where Mm -hmm. any author is going to have to hit rewind and write those questions down because they will yield tremendous value. Yeah, those are outstanding. 
Yeah. What I love about the fact that you're already working through some of those with your clients and the folks that are writing books is I do remind people that you may be a wonderful long form author and you're really good at that. What people do not realize is going to be as hard is learning how to speak the language of social platforms. So if you're really good at, again, that like you're writing a hook for a chapter, writing a hook on social media, it's still there, but it's a little bit different. You have to figure out how do I structure it so that the algorithm will then pick up what it needs to pick up? How do I make sure that I visually compel this in this way? So that is something that I do. If people are willing to admit that they don't know what they don't know, those folks do amazing. If it's, yeah. oh, I'll just try and post what I know how to post. And they're like, well, it's not really doing that well, but I'm using LinkedIn. I'm like, I can tell you why it's not doing very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a whole different world. And especially, I think it's especially counterintuitive for writers. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, even the fact that when you write a book, you write good paragraphs, you have really great structure. When you write a LinkedIn post, you write one-line sentences, you do a lot of this sort of thing where you're just teasing out stuff. It feels different and it might feel a little bit slimy and weird to someone who's used to writing very beautiful you know, mm-hmm. poetry. It doesn't quite work with that. So getting over some of that and saying, this is how people on this platform communicate. And then the goal is for them to find you so interesting that they go and want to devour your long-form content. Yeah. You know, I have a little saying, which, because you know that old saying, a picture's worth a thousand words. Mm -hmm. Well, so is the right image. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So much. (laughs) Right. And I mean, you can convey in one or two or three words, a whole picture. If you pick the right image for the reader to visualize as they're reading. Mm -hmm. I always use that just for writing books mainly because I am not a big social animal poster. Luckily, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a team. But really, it could definitely apply to social for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we process images. I'm not sure what the numbers are. It's it's thousands and thousands, 20,000 times faster than words. Mm -hmm. And images also have a way of evoking a memory for us. And if you can somehow tie what you're talking about to an image, they can remember the image, but they can forget your words. And as an Mm -hmm. author, that's like, oh my God, they'll forget what I wrote. No, you own the idea. Figure out how to take that idea and apply it to multiple mediums. And then you become that much more powerful with the things you want to communicate. Yeah. And use a word that evokes an image Mm -hmm. because they'll see it in their mind's eye. They'll see a a more fulsome picture Mm -hmm. than if you take four or five lines to describe something that could be described just by triggering them with the right image of something that's familiar enough that they can grab onto it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As long as it's not a stock image, like, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, no. Be clear on this. I'm talking about using the words. Yeah. As well as a photo, obviously a photo we know gets their attention initially, but even mm-hmm. inside the post, if you use good imagery in your wording choices, then you mm-hmm. can really get the message across. So let's see, what else do we need to talk about around this? Let's talk about polarizing your audience. Because obviously, if you say something bold, you're going to turn off some people. And at the same time, you are sending the right sort of bat signal beacon 
mm-hmm. to the people that you actually want to reach. So can you talk a little bit more about how that works and why people should do it? Yeah. The end goal is you want rabid fans. I mean, you want folks that really agree with what you have to say, because they're going to be connected to people that also believe what they believe. And the risk of trying to appeal to everybody is, I mean, it's cliche, but you end up appealing to nobody. Or you have a lot of folks that believe that it's nice, but they're not, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, they're like a five. They could take you, they could leave you. And that doesn't bode well for future projects of yours. That doesn't bode well for any sort of movement you're trying to start. And especially in a world that's driven by numbers and metrics. I mean, you sort of have to get into this mind frame of, I can't think of who wrote it, but there's a book called A Thousand Loyal Fans or something like that. You only need about a thousand really good believers to build a business. And we somehow think that we need many, 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 many more than that while they disagree with you on Mm. that. And Mm. if you can set numbers aside for a little bit and lean into yourself and your craft, you can get your voice right before you start trying to grow it. Mm. I think too many people try to grow Mm. it and then their voice ends up kind of flying all around the place because they're trying to figure out what people like, what they don't like. Do your research, come up with your convictions and stay the course. Yeah. That's a whole nother point, right? Is if people perceive you as flip-flopping and Mm -hmm. kind of being all over the place, then that definitely isn't going to help your platform or your Mm. credibility. Yeah, we definitely value certainty as humans and any element of variability, like while it might seem like us for being flexible, what we're telling our audience is I am uncertain about myself and my beliefs, therefore I am a risk to you. Mm. And again, when we look at it through that lens and you think about the last person that you really were excited about what they had to say, and then suddenly they changed their story. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, now that we kind of apply it to ourselves, we go, yeah, I don't like that. So it's always one of those like easier to say than do very simple, but hard. Right. But at the end of the day, so that those questions that I read to you were from a personal narrative worksheet that I share with folks. And this comes from a lot of the work that we do, helping them build their voice online. We don't write books. We help people promote what they've created, Mm -hmm. but we have a couple of columns here. The first column is my belief. The second column is the implication or where this shows up in my business or my life. The third one is the background. So where did this come from? What stories do I have in my background that support this? The fourth one is the feeling. What do I want the audience or the person on the other side of this to feel when they interact with this belief? And then what is the takeaway, which is what I want the audience to do as a result of this information? So that kind of through line helps us say, it's not just about being all crazy and having this crazy belief, but there's a reason for it for the audience Mm. on the other side. And Mm. it's all kind of stitched together. Yeah, I love that. It's very holistic and comprehensive. So you're, and I can see how that would be really smart to do with someone before you start blasting a bunch of stuff out, because then you can check for any apparent incongruencies and Mm -hmm. clarify enough so that it's clear that they're not being flaky or anything. Yeah. Well, and back to your original point about some of the beliefs that we have to sort of test and figure out where they came from. If there's a belief in there and we're talking with someone about I don't know, let's say that they believe that, you know, there's something that women should do in the workplace, da, da, da. And it really only came from one situation in their life. Mm. You're going to have a hard time because you're going to have a lot of opposition against that because your frame of reference is so small. Right. Yeah. And I would imagine also there has to be some sort of authority factor even. It's just also raising that you also have to be probably careful about what you choose to comment on, depending mm-hmm. on your actual experience versus your observations. 
you want to speak to that at all? Because I can imagine that's especially these days, that's that can be pretty touchy. Yeah, there's definitely the, we'll call it topics to avoid or things to be careful about. I think more what we see online. So I'll use this reference. If anybody here on the call as a life coach, like this isn't meant to be a, a stab at you, but there's a there's kind of a joke among the content creators of like coming off as a 21-year-old life coach who hasn't done any living, right? <laughs> and again, maybe that person's been through a lot of really perilous things. Mm -hmm. But the adage is you can have all these personal narratives and beliefs, but if there is something with credibility or authenticity that is lacking, it will quickly surface itself whether you want to or not. Right. So there will need to be, and that's where sometimes you find that you might need to go have a certification in such and such area. So you can say something about that, or you might need to go do such and such, you know, meeting with 10 different companies to give them the perspective. Like, We all have those pieces that we have to stitch together in order Mm -hmm. for us to become believable. So if you're looking for a book to read, a friend of mine wrote a book called Hard Work is Not Enough. And he talks a lot about the believability factor of leaders. And you can't just work harder. There is a believability influential category that you have to master. And a lot of that comes from your interactions. But yeah, back to that social proof piece, that is very important. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I'm curious... Do you have any stories of anyone who came to you who had kind of screwed the pooch on their posting? And you don't have to name names, but <laughs> where maybe you worked with them to help course correct or something like that to just in case any of our listeners are listening and yeah. feeling concerned. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll kind of group this together because there's a couple of challenges that we see that are pretty prevalent. Mm-hmm. And one of those is I don't know what to say. On social. Ah, uh, yes. So, oh, I don't, I don't know what to say, period, right? Like whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or you, whatever it is. And the challenge with that is they're thinking about, I'm standing on a street corner and I need to be telling people things. So that mindset is all wrong. The mm. idea of you're actually at the world's largest, let's say, book fair in your industry, and people are constantly walking by your booth and asking you questions and you're responding. So if we put the lens on in that situation, we are promoting value. We're inviting people into our booth. Like you're doing what you would do at a book launch party and having those conversations. Posting just happens to be the mechanism that we use to do that. So Mm -hmm. the way that that goes wrong is I'm just going to take something, I'm going to post and I'm going to walk away. Well, again, like nobody would say hi and then lock the door and walk away. (laughs) That's kind of what we do. So you have to be social to use social networking. So Mm. instead of posting, spend your time first going and finding out what people in your area are talking about. You can observe their conversations, join in other people's conversations, build some reason for people to even care about what you have to say first. And then you can start to see, interesting, people are finding my comments about X, Y, and Z to be compelling. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll talk about that. So that is definitely one mechanism where they just like, they you know fire up a page, start machine gunning content out. That is just mm-hmm. bad, just, just all the way bad. Right. The second thing is really, it's not about you. And you can tell a company that has struggled or a person that has struggled with social because it comes off as, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And it's always, always, always about making the reader or in this case, the audience, the hero of the story. So Mm. back to that kind of persona, if you think about what are the things they struggle with, what are the goals that they have? How do they think? So if I wrote a book about marketing 
I would know that marketers often struggle with overwhelm, time management, too many things on their plate. If I made a post about me spinning plates, it's not about me spinning plates. First of all, I can't spin plates. But if I did that, it would be anybody else feeling like this. Right. Tell me what needs to fall off your list today. That Mm. sort of post would engage Mm -hmm. me. And then you can Mm -hmm. learn that I wrote a book called Stop the Plate Spinning. Again, made all that up. Right, right, right. But that would be, that'd be one thing. And then the third thing is I'd say the one we focus on correcting the most is like not knowing how to talk on the platform. You don't use hashtags on Facebook. You don't use hashtags the way we used to on Instagram. Instagram now uses reels. YouTube has shorts. They're not the same as longs. Like all of that language is very important. And you look like you don't belong when you don't post in the way that people consume it. Oh, Allie, I need you so badly. This is so, this is. I mean, like, if you are listening, you want me to just take a look at your social and give you some feedback? Like, oh, happy to do that. Careful, we get a thousand downloads a week. Maybe we'll just do a giant <laughs> webinar. It'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, as, as someone that's lived in those platforms, I've naturally assimilated the language. But if I were thinking about getting started on even LinkedIn today, it can be overwhelming. So, you know, kind of like we do with everything, start small and then know what you don't know and go seek resources to help you with that. Well, amen to that. Amen to that because there's just, there's social media changes so fast. Mm -hmm. And just a lot of times by the time something gets to your eyes or ears, it's already not working anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unless you're really in it. And so, it can be just so valuable to have someone like you. Thank you for coming to share with us because, oh my yeah. gosh, this has all been so helpful. But really, who makes it your business to know what direction people should go. So fantastic. All right. So before we wrap up today, I do have one more question for you because this is sure. my signature final question, which is, what did I not ask you, Allie, that you would love to answer? I will answer with the things that are working in marketing today. And this was a result of a conference that I attended, but also some personal anecdotal things. And one, despite what anybody tells you, email is still very, very much alive. So if you are not using email in a very personal way to connect and and grow your audience, that's a miss. The other thing is YouTube is still a very, very, very underutilized resource. And you don't get good at YouTube by sitting around and waiting to make the perfect video. You get Ah. better at YouTube by creating videos. So again, that's easier said than done for some folks, but most people are afraid because they're afraid they either sound funny or look funny. And my advice to everyone is I look at you every day and you sound like that every day to me. So go, just go. Yeah, no kidding. Great. Any others that anything else or just those couple of things? I mean, those two, the LinkedIn is really hot right now. I mean, LinkedIn's yeah. definitely hot with everything happening over on Twitter with Elon Musk and you know, uh, people yeah. are like running over the hills and a lot of folks are picking up their LinkedIn activity, which also means it's going to get harder. So uh-huh. if you haven't gotten on there yet and started posting organic content, videos are having a heyday over there. That's important. And then really the last piece is going to be just finding those really niche places to find your audience. So mm. vents are back in person. If you can pull together people for a book launch party and do it with like FOMO and then secret invites and everything like that experiential thing is so powerful. And people just, I think want to go all digital and I'm still a fan of making sure you can get someone there for the tactile experience. 
I agree. I think there's nothing like the power of proximity and mm-hmm. just being in the room with people and you can get such a different sense of who it is, you know, and of each other and just get the vibe. So yeah, for sure. Fantastic. Well, Allie, this has been so fun and so yeah. informative. And I want to thank you again for being with us today on the Author's Corner. Yeah, thanks for having me. If anybody wants any, again, feedback on their social, feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to help. And we'll put information on how you can find Allie in the show notes. Sounds good. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.